Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Hench... Wait a minute. This is not the Hench and Dad podcast, but I am Wes. I am the Hench and Dad himself, and I am here not to give you a long, drawn-out, like, history of tokusatsu or delve into any one of my favorite series but if you if you totally want to you should go to my podcast and and listen to that i I talk about those a lot but today i am here on the backlog breakdown to talk to you a little bit about a big boy a big beefy game and that is persona 5 royal now persona 5 royal is the updated version of persona 5 the original vanilla persona 5 as i like to refer to it And you heard me and Josh and Nate talk about Persona 5 pretty extensively on the Backlog Breakdown. I think we did a couple, like, two-hour episodes about that. I think our recording is basically, like, four to five hours long. So check on that, you know, if you haven't yet. It it was a pretty good recording, even if you don't know anything about Persona or the series at all. I I thought we had some good discussions about some, you know, cultural issues and localization stuff, and it was pretty cool. So during those podcast episodes, we dealt very extensively with themes in that specific game, as well as the broad storyline. But that was just for the original Persona 5. At the time, I was playing Persona 5 Royal, but we didn't really get into it too much because I wasn't finished with it yet. So I decided, well, you know, I really need to finish this game. So just yesterday, just last night, I rolled credits on Persona 5 Royal. And let me tell you, it is it is something else. But anyway, I kind of go back and give you some context for my interactions with Persona 5. I beat Persona 5, the original version, for the first time earlier this year, around June, at exactly 51 hours and 58 minutes. So just, just a shade under 52 hours total, which apparently is considered to be, like, miraculous. Not really a speed run, but pretty, pretty close to it. So I, I finished the game, and I gave it about a day before I jumped right into Persona 5 Royal, which I had already purchased at this point because it had a really cool special edition. I figured this was really the best time to start playing it because, well, the story was like super fresh in my mind. Like I had just finished going through a huge chunk of the game those few days prior. So I was like, well, you know, I I may as well dig into Royal now because I have the, the main story fresh in my mind so I can really see what the differences are between these two different versions. Is it really worth the price point to get Persona 5 Royal if you already have Persona 5? Well, I'm going to be talking about that later. But since then, I, I kind of went back to it kind of off and on as my schedule allowed because it is a huge time commitment. Even when you have time manipulation powers like me, it's still a huge time commitment. And I decided after looking at the trophy list that I was really going to strive for the Platinum Trophy this time around because it really wasn't that difficult, honestly. There weren't any like completely like terrible trophies on the list that would require like endless amounts of grinding or anything. You could actually achieve the platinum trophy within one playthrough. And I was like, all right, that's awesome. So I'm going to do that. So I finished Royal yesterday and I'm recording this on November 26th on Thanksgiving. So it was yesterday, November 25th, 2020 at exactly 55 hours and 26 minutes, which seemed to me a little bit strange because I use that fast forward function extremely liberally to just blaze through areas that I already knew from the original. So already you can tell there is a beefy, beefy amount of content in this release. So it it was definitely an interesting experience to do that, but I'll get to that later. So for those who are not in the know, Persona 5 Royal is an enhanced version of the original Persona 5, which was released in Japan in October 2019 and worldwide in March 2020. The special edition that I got, I can't remember what it was called. I think it was the Phantom Thieves edition. It came with like a little art book, a little mini soundtrack, 
and the really cool like Phantom Thieves mask. That was pretty cool. It doesn't fit me, but it's pretty cool. Persona 5 Royal is basically the Persona 4 Golden for Persona 5. So if you know anything about Persona 4 Golden, you know that it was like an updated version of Persona 4 for the PS2 released on the PlayStation Vita. And it took all like the elements of the original story, but expanded on it quite a bit, like adding some new characters, new plot elements, uh, various quality of life updates, gameplay features. And that's exactly what Persona 5 Royal is. So instead of having a PS4 version that's basically a PS3 game because it was developed for the PS3 and the PS4 and released on it, this enhanced version of Persona 4, or sorry, Persona 5, I should say, and I wishful thinking, this enhanced version of Persona 5 is basically like a true like PS4 quality experience, and it definitely shows. It definitely shows. The, the problem that I run into, though, it's that it's, it's very hard to describe what exactly is changed in this game without spoiling like significant chunks of it, because a lot of the changes kind of happen throughout. They thread these changes throughout, especially to the story and with the characters that they introduce. So it's hard to talk about that. So what I'm going to do is just kind of split this up a little bit. I'll get all the non-spoilery stuff kind of out of the way just immediately. And I'll blaze through that a little quickly as fast as I can, really, so that we can get into the really meaty spoilery stuff. Now, if you've already played Persona 5, it's hard to say whether or not it's really worthwhile for you to get Persona 5 Royal. It has an immense amount of updates, but it's a really long game. So if you have played Persona 5 and you're just interested in hearing like the extra stuff that they added and you don't really care about the spoilers, honestly, I don't think that's much of a problem. But that's just me. If it's something that you want to play on your own, you go right for it. And I'll let you know when I'm getting to the spoilery stuff. But anyway, non-spoilers, starting now. So the opening cutscene of the game basically, like, really immediately informs you that this game is going to be different. So you see this anime cutscene with this new song playing called Colors Flying High. It's very similar to the theme song of Persona 5, Wake Up, Get Up, Get Out There. It's very similar to it musically. But the visuals of the opening video seem to show, I would describe it as a, a huge celebration of the characters in the story rather than really the motifs of the Phantom Thief genre. So the original opening had a very stark red and black coloring style, definitely in that more like noir vein, but, you know, with, with red, obviously. And the characters were mostly separate from each other, doing their own thing. You didn't really see them like getting together per se in the original opening. But with Royal... It has some really like all together from like the very beginning. They're they're interacting with each other and there's just an explosion of color all around them versus the red and black of the original opening. So what this really tells me, I mean, it really feels like pop art. If you're familiar with that kind of, you know, I don't know how to say it, like genre of art. It's very like stark color contrasts and everything. And they use a lot of colors. There's still a lot of red and black. But it's accentuated by all these different like purples and blues and yellows. And it's just it's really nice to look at. So throughout the video, these characters are placed front and center with all the interactions that you'd expect with them if you already know them. And the main cast really is spending their time, you know, pulling off a heist. But then also they're like super giant size, like kaiju size. So obviously this is kind of, you know, henshin dead related. They're like super size going through a city and they have these baseball bats and the city buildings all have like this graffiti on them this black graffiti on them written in Japanese I don't really know what it says but I'm assuming it has to do with like the injustices that these characters are facing in like their daily you know life and that's kind of what they're you know 
whole theme is. But what they're doing is they're taking these baseball bats to destroy these buildings with the wreckage of these buildings turning into this really like crystally multicolored jewel like snow, you know, obviously representing the idea of destroying their the corrupt system and changing the culture around them. And this, this symbolism is obvious, but the, the opening video is like a really clear display of how important these characters have become over the past few years. Just like with Persona 4 Golden, like it was really just a big dance video at the beginning of that Vita game. And you can see the characters are just having fun dancing along to what they're doing. And this is before the dancing games were even announced. So obviously they were ahead of the curve there. So it's it's a celebration of the characters in that same way. It, the, the game expects like you have this familiarity with them. Nobody's really shrouded in mystery. They're all together. They're just, you know, destroying buildings, which is, again, symbolism for destroying like the corrupt cultural system around them and all that. But I, I thought it was a really good opening. And that song is actually like, the one that plays when you have the Persona 5 Royal theme on your PlayStation 4. So I've heard that song probably like a million times now, just like, you know, going through my PS4 and going through different games. And I thought that was cool. So there are two main characters that are introduced into the story for the Royal version, much like how Marie was introduced to the Persona 4 story on Persona 4 Golden. Uh, The two characters are the redhead student that you see on the cover, who's obviously dressed like a phantom thief, but I'm not going to really spoil how that happens. Her name is Kasumi Yoshizawa. And the other guy that you may have seen, he's kind of got like brown shaggy hair. He's wearing glasses, got a little bit of stubble on his chin. His name is Takuto Maruki, and he is the school counselor. So I would say that both of these characters are like leaps and bounds better than Marie from Golden because their plot lines are threaded throughout the main story from the very beginning. So you can see how they go through this really natural growth over time. And while their inclusion in the overall narrative, you you can tell when they have been inserted into it, if you're very familiar with Persona 5. But it's not flawless, but it works pretty well. And their inclusion at different key moments during the regular calendar year definitely feels organic. And you see this, again, right from the beginning of the game. Unlike, you know, vanilla Persona 5, that had you bonding with Akechi, who also receives a big upgrade in this game. He His social link played out basically automatically throughout the original Persona 5. But he has now a fully implemented social link system for his character. So it almost feels like you're really gaining a third character here. While I was going through the social link stuff, I, I didn't really realize how much depth we were missing from his character until I started that. And I'm very glad that he got some really much-needed attention from the developers this time around because you can really start understanding his perspective throughout the game a lot better. So that's really it. These characters' changes and these characters that are added to the the narrative, they're not completely out of left field. Obviously, they would have had to completely rework huge parts of the story throughout, like the beginning to, you know, the final palace and the big battle at Mementos and everything, they would have really had to tweak a lot if they wanted these characters to be like super integral parts of the core cast, which they don't, which is fine. And that's okay. And everything really comes to a head in the third semester anyway with these characters. So I will save that for the spoilery section. Some of the non-spoilery mechanical stuff though, I have to say the grappling hook is just, it was a genius inclusion in this game it's basically that hook shot that nate wants in like every game and i know that they had to make tweaks and changes to the palaces in order to explain its usage but it it is such an iconic piece of the heist genre 
that you wonder why it really wasn't included in the first place. Like, even Batman has this cool grappling hook thing, and he's been around for decades and decades. So including it as part of the story and actually integrating it into new palace mechanics and everything, I thought that was just genius. The Showtime attacks, these are also new to this game, and these allow for different character duos to team up for a super cool special attack that is really just unique to them. So you'll see, like, Morgana... Uh, partnering up with An, Makoto and Haru partnering up and doing their special attack together, and Joker and pretty much every other character. Well, a couple other characters, maybe not every other character, but a couple other characters. Like as you're building the social links and getting to know them better, these little story segments will play out where they come up with this cool idea for an attack, and I really liked it. It really blink- brings a lot more like characterization from the combat and. Honestly, when you see these little cinematics play out, I never even really skip them because they always look super cool. So I really like the Showtime attacks, especially the one with Akechi and Joker. And if you don't know how that plays out, that is just awesome. The Reaper calendar, I I think, is a huge improvement as well because it really allows you to interact with your confidants a lot more freely. And Morgana finally, finally stops forcing you to, like, go to sleep all the time. And that was such an annoying part of Persona 5, where Morgana's was like, ah, shouldn't you go to sleep now? And it's like, no, they, they reworked a lot of things to where you have a lot more free time. So you can interact with your confidants, you can build up your social stats and level them up way higher, way higher than before. And I was able to max this out like pretty super early in the game. So that was really cool. And I, I think because it's allowing you more free time with these characters and even a new location where you can play darts or play pool with them, and you're getting these different like, you know, interactions between them and the dialogue and all that like it's really cool that you get to know your teammates on an even deeper level so i feel like that was just sorely missing for persona 5 because like you had these like almost railroaded times where you could actually interact with these characters and it was unfortunate because you didn't really feel the freedom to get to know them better but persona 5 royal fixes all that and i I appreciate it and the last like really big thing from this royal edition is that All of the original DLC for Persona 5, it's absolutely free, available to you right from the start of the game. And that's super cool to me because it allowed me to really just effectively break the game right from the get-go with the types of Personas immediately available to you. And I I pretty much just use Orpheus, like, the entire time. He is so cool. And, you know, that allowed me to kind of get to know that Persona better because I didn't really get to use him as much in Persona 3. So I was like, oh, yeah. Let's use him. And he had some really amazing attacks, and I was just very happy with that. And the outfits that you get as well. Those are especially cool because if you wear the outfits from the Persona 1 through Persona 4 characters, it will actually let you enter the battle with their respective battle themes playing. So obviously, I dressed up Joker as, you know, the Persona 3 main character, uh, whose name I can't remember right now. Whatever. It's okay. He's... Well, I was going to make a spoilery joke, but I'm not going to do that. I dressed up as a Persona 3 characters for most of the cast, and Mass Destruction playing over a Persona 5 aesthetic, mm, that is something special. It is something that you need to experience in your life, because Mass Destruction is, of course, the best theme that Persona has ever, like, you know, crafted. And I will stand by that. So, final non-spoilery thoughts before I get to the real big spoiler section. This game is basically, like, the game of the year version of the original with a lot of great upgrades and DLC. It's really a shame that they couldn't just patch in the DLC to the original version or really, I mean, patch in all the changes, I should say, because it's not even DLC, but it would require such an overhaul of the game that it would be 
basically impossible. I wish they could have come up with a more consumer-friendly way in order to allow people to get this new game. But, you know, that's just how it is. And this is just the, you know, environment that we have to live in. And that's okay. So if you enjoyed it, if you enjoyed the original game, I should say, then this is really just more of the same. Whether you like that or not, that's completely up to you. And whether you want to dump another 100 plus hours into it depends on really how much you like the world and how much you want to get to know the characters on an even deeper level. At the very least, they made it really easy to get into and get through if you're already familiar with it. So you'll blaze through a lot of that early game like real quickly. Just be careful at the, you know, the space station boss because they they did something to that boss that's just unforgivable and made it almost impossible. That that boss right there was actually harder than any other boss I beat in the entire game, like even the final, final, final boss. And that's saying a lot. It's just complete nonsense. But anyway, Persona 5 Royal, final non-spoiler thoughts. It's great. It's good. It changed a good game into a great game. And I'm going to get into more of that later as to why I think that is. But if that's all you need in order to buy it, go get it. It's going on sale a lot these days. You could probably find it for like 30 bucks in different places. And I'd say that is absolutely perfectly worth this game. Just don't buy any of the new DLC. It's just, it's all garbage. You don't want any of the new DLC. And it's like 60 bucks for the full pack. That's ridiculous. Don't do it. Ignore the new DLC. Stick with the original DLC and you will be just fine. So here's your warning. I'm getting into spoilers now. I'm going to spoil this game. I'm going to spoil character revelations. That's the only way I can really think of in order to give this game its due. So if you do not want to hear anything about that, turn this off now. There's nothing else I'm going to say that's going to convince you about this game, I'm sure. So are you gone yet? Are you sure? Okay, spoiler section. <sighs> Here we go. Persona 5 Royal overhauls the original game so much for me where it, like I said, it turns a pretty good game into, honestly, I'm not even going to say it's just a great game. It's an amazing game now. This seriously affected my opinion of the original version. And I, I have to imagine that this is what a lot of people felt when Persona 4 Golden came out. And, you know, if they had played Persona 4 on the PS2 and then they played it again on the Vita with Persona 4 Golden, I could definitely see how people are just like, this is the type of change that we need for our games in order to keep them fresh. This is a true upgrade in every sense of the term. And I'm honestly going to say, 60 bucks full price for this game? I think it's worth it. Even if you've played the original, I still think it's worth it. Now, obviously, less than that's even better. But if you can only pay $60 for this game, if you've played the original or not, it's worth that. It is definitely worth that price. I'm going to get more into that later. So in order to really get into some of the spoilery stuff, I have to talk about the characters in depth. So let's start with Kasumi. So Kasumi Yoshizawa. From the beginning, you can see that this is a seemingly normal redhead girl who's pretty good at what she does. And I originally had like zero hopes for her. I was fully prepared to just just disregard her as another, you know, Moe girlfriend character who will obviously become instantly popular just because she's cute and new and different. And well, let me tell you, I turned out flat wrong, flat wrong, because not only is she a really well-developed and fantastic character, but she is also best girl. Don't at me. Best girl. Get out of here, Haru. I'm sorry. You were awesome. But Kasumi Yoshizawa, 
has risen to the top of the list, even more than the teacher and the doctor. And that's saying a lot. So right from the beginning, like I said, she's included. You see a brief glimpse of her in the reworked casino scene right at the beginning of the game, game, saving Joker from a mob of enemies that weren't there in the original. Her fighting style and the motif that her phantom thief costume evokes is super striking. And, you know, it almost feels like she was developed as like a female main character, kind of like how in Persona 3, the PSP version, you had a female version of the main character. It almost feels like she was designed like that, you know, down to the the, the black costume and everything. And you could definitely see how you, you could understand that. So it's just really cool to see like her fighting style was super cool and, and evocative of Joker. And she already has this familiarity with him, like, during that cutscene, so you you're wondering like, well, where did you come from? Who are you? I have no idea who you are, and it, may, it really makes you wonder how you're supposed to get to this point. It's a great hook, no pun intended, because you have a super cool grappling hook that you learn about as well, which is awesome. Throughout the game, her her inclusion at the different points of the story feel pretty natural, but again, if you played the first game, you know where it's being inserted and everything, and it might be a little bit jarring for you at the beginning. And you can kind of tell, like, even if you haven't played the first game, or the original game, I should say, that she's an extra addition because she's not, like, completely seemingly seamlessly integrated into the narrative. She gains the power of Persona during a story, like a bit of a side story, with Joker, but she doesn't actually join the Phantom Thieves because she's really expressing these interesting, like, ideological differences with them, and she can't fully agree with what they're doing to these palace owners. This continues throughout the whole game and is routinely brought up as the reason as to why she doesn't join you, which is great. I mean, you make this new character and she doesn't even like really join you for most of the game. You get bits and pieces throughout, but not like a full on like addition to the squad, which kind of felt awful because you're like, oh, you're such a cool character. I want to play as you, but they don't. And I, while I would have liked to see more of her throughout the story, though, this adds some much needed tension to the story that. Persona 5 really needed, especially in regards to the very vague sense of justice that the Phantom Thieves espouse. Like, they talk about justice and doing what's right and everything, and but when really push comes to shove, they can't really, like, explain it very well. And I think having this foil, she's not an antagonist, she's not a villain. There's this foil, though, that's really, like, needling them a little bit. Like, are you sure? Is this really the best thing that you're going to do? That sort of thing. And she awakens to her power of the persona, but she kind of just you know, stays in the background at that point. You get a half of a social link with her for the first part of the game, which opens up in the second part of the game. So, you know, you can raise her to the max of five during, you know, the main story. But then after the big New, Year, New Year's event and everything, that's when it starts opening up a little bit more as you develop the story and the characters more. So I thought she was fantastic. She was an amazing addition. And just seeing the interactions that she brought with the different cast members and everything, I thought it was great. And I think that you will as well, because she's not like the other characters. Like, they really do try to make her different from the other girls and even the boys on the team. She's pretty straightforward about what she thinks. She's super polite about it, but not. she's not, like, dense like Ryuji or completely clueless like Yusuke. Yusuke? I can't remember. Uh, she's she's different from Makoto because she's not really like, you know, 
comparing herself to anybody else. It, it's a really interesting dynamic that she adds to the team. And I wish she could have been in there longer. And I really hope that there's a new anime coming out that will actually like integrate her into the story because I'd love to see it actually play out on screen. So that's enough for Yoshizawa for now. The other character, Takuto Maruki, he is the school counselor, and he's introduced really shortly after the first palace as a way to kind of up the PR of the school a little bit because one of their teachers turned out to be a terrible person and who committed crimes against the students. They figured, okay, let's bring in a school counselor. This actually makes like perfect, perfectly good narrative sense, especially like since I work at a school, it's like, yeah, obviously you're going to want to bring in a counselor if kids have suffered trauma. And I, I thought that was a brilliant addition. And not just because he looks like me, because he totally looks like me with a little bit of like, you know, stubble on his chin. It was really fascinating to see. During particular moments throughout the story, then, each member of the Phantom Thieves will interact with him in some way, whether at the school or elsewhere, at the cafe with Futaba. And they, they talk and they discuss how they're feeling with all this insanity going on around them, obviously without revealing their true identities. But he's really asking them some good and back and forth questions. And he helps them discuss their personal problems, their deeply personal problems, and think through how they want to better themselves, what they really wish for. These moments, honestly, are really heartwarming and genuine because you can see the initial resistance to him questioning them within the characters. They've built up their walls. They've built up their personas, if you will. But he's able to question them in such a way and interact with them in such a way just to kind of let's, like break them down a little bit and show some of that vulnerability like a good counselor would so that you can really get to the root of the problem. And they react, they react to, you know, really working through these issues in their lives, honestly. Like they're experiencing a sense of trauma, of guilt, perhaps, like of what they've done and what they're doing. And this was, again, sorely lacking in the original. They, it felt like throughout the entire original game that they were just like, okay, this is kind of what we are. Maybe we'll have a little doubt sometimes, but there's really no like long-term effects on us. This adds so many much-needed layers to everybody's characterization. And the interesting thing to note is that before he became a counselor, he studied cognitive science, much like Futaba's mom, which will be important later on. So that was the, the basic spoilers. Now I'm getting into the really, really big spoilery stuff where I'm going to spoil the third semester. So please, if, if you really want to keep the third semester completely blank to you, turn this off now. It's not going to help you. Okay. Big spoilers now. So much of the the basic story of the game remains roughly the same until after you beat Yaldabaoth in Mementos. And obviously that cutscene is awesome. And it gets to the point, I believe it's on Christmas Eve, where Sai Nijima is originally going to tell Joker that he has to turn himself in so that the police can be satisfied with all this insanity that Shido caused. Now, at this point, if you had been probably following a guide and making sure that you maxed up Akechi's social link as much as you can, uh, Yoshizawa's and Maruki's, it will play out, if you haven't done any of that, it will play out as normal, just like regular Persona 5. The, the normal ending will play, and you'll get to see that, and you can be satisfied with that. But if you did do all these prerequisites, that's when things change. Right when Joker's about to agree to turn himself in, who shows up other, nobody else but Goro Akechi? He shows up and he tells Joker that he's still alive, even after it seemed that he like totally bit the dust in Shida's palace. And he actually says like he's willing to turn himself in instead and actually confess to that and basically be a good person now. And Sai is just like, oh, yeah, great. So I'm going to take you instead. And Joker, you're totally free to go. 
and Joker's just off the hook just like that. He spends the last few days before the New Year's celebrating with his friends. You know, you get the Christmas date and everything, and you get this cool New Year's scene. But when the New Year comes around, everything changes. Not just visually, but it really does visually. There's a lot more colors going on on the borders of the screen. You can see that the calendar itself has changed slightly in its visual design, as well as the the snow coming down. It's really interesting to see these visual changes take place. But everything else has changed, too. Morgana has become a human who looks kind of like Yusuke, but a little bit different, trying to mold himself after this celebrity he saw on TV. Morgana's become human. Anne and Shiho, her friend from the original palace, they're hanging out without a care in the world. They're super happy. Yusuke is studying under a more benevolent version of Madarame. Again, apparently Madarame is not just, you know, big in the painting world again, but he's also super nice and he's like mentoring Yusuke very closely. Futaba's and Haru's parents, they're alive and well. That's weird because you saw some of them die on screen and you were kind of the result of that. Ryuji, he's able to run again and he's joined the track team and he's working really hard in order to get that track scholarship that he wanted. Makoto and her family, they're happy and well as as well. And Joker, well, he's no longer sitting under the the cloud of being a delinquent. So it seems like this New Year's, this New Year's, everybody's wish came true, which is interesting. This new world that you are in right now, obviously, Joker has his problems. And if you hear ducks in the background, I'm sorry, because there's ducks. Joker is obviously very confused by this, but everybody else seems to be happy as a clan, blissful, peacefully unaware. They're not really like caring about anything going on. They're just really happy. But then Akechi meets up with you and he says that he's been set free as well. And he's free from police custody and he is seethingly mad about how everything has changed in the world. And you go to this new palace that you find with Yoshizawa because she tells you that it has appeared. And the three of you actually infiltrate the palace and you find out what the big problem is. This new world is actually a result of Maruki's influence. This man that you have spent so many hours with throughout the game, he is now revealed to have been a Persona user. Well, actually kind of a new Persona user in that regard because his power manifested kind of early on. You, you see that a Persona is trying to talk with him during these flashback scenes with him and his old girlfriend and she's lost and he's bitter about that, that loss that he's experienced in his life because she's no longer with him. And you can see that there's shades of this persona talking with them and trying to awaken, but it's really not time yet. But what they do is that when Joker and the rest of the Phantom Thieves are in Mementos battling Yaldabaoth, when Mementos and the real world has fused together, that's when Maruki actually awakens to his persona and he vows to change the world because he already knows that Shido's the big bad and he's confessing to crimes and he's been kind of interacting with the Phantom Thieves throughout. So he knows who they are in a sense, but he has actually, he he's given the powers to actualize his changes on everybody. He wants to change the world for the better for everybody around him. And that's how he uses his power to make this new world. And Goro is super, super mad about it because he does not want to be a slave to anyone anymore. And he realizes that if he goes along with Maruki, then he is going to actually be basically another puppet, which he doesn't want to do. And I have to say, speaking of Goro's character, during this third semester, you really get to see his true personality on display. He's no longer that cool and collected nice guy that worked with you. 
But instead, he is still a complete murdering, unhinged psychopath. And he's yelling and screaming and just growling at people. And just being able to see more of that specific characterization, which you got to see a little bit in the regular version, but not as much. And how he continues to interact with the main cast, it's super dark, but very intriguing. And you find out later that he's only alive because Joker unwittingly wished for it before Yaldabaoth was destroyed and when Maruki's powers manifested. And his continued existence, even still, relies on Maruki staying alive and keeping this new world going. But Akechi does not want any of this. He does not want to be a puppet. He does not want to be influenced by someone else. And he's fully willing to die if that's what it means. And he thinks Joker is just so weak for having kept him around because of that. So you get to see that anger within him. And I think the voice actor just does a tremendous job. But at this point, you might be wondering, well, how does Kasumi fit into the story? Like, how does she become a Persona user? Like, what, what happened to her? Well, as you found out earlier in the story during the regular Persona 5 months, she was once a patient of Maruki's when she was going through a rough time, a death in the family. What is revealed in the third semester, though, is that Kasumi is not actually who she says she is. That's not actually her name. That's the name of her older sister. And she is actually Sumere Yoshizawa, the younger sister of Kasumi. The real Kasumi actually died protecting Sumire from being hit by a car after she had argued with her and stormed off. And her older sister protected her. And she feels such an intense feeling of like survivor's guilt and selfishness. Like, oh no, I am responsible for the death of my sister. Which is actually referenced like right at the beginning of the game when uh, Joker and Futaba's not dad, Sojiro, Sojiro are in the car and everything. And he just casually mentions that there actually was a death a week ago. And I think that was even in the original Persona 5. But they've retconned that into being like the death was Kasumi died. Sumire is the reason that she died because she kind of stormed off and, you know, wasn't paying attention. And she almost got hit by a car and Kasumi pushed her out of the way and she got hit by a car. And it's a brutal scene to watch. And she's going through so much survivor's guilt because of this. And that's why she's seeing the counselor. And he... Maruki decides to use his understanding of cognitive science at this time from even before he got his persona to really influence her in a way to take on the identity of Kasumi in order to avoid the grief of functionally having been the cause of her sister's death, which turned Sumire into her sister Kasumi. And that's the person that you have been interacting with the whole time. But she had blocked this out of her mind, much like the rest of the Phantom. These are blocking it out of their mind that their world is different and that makes it so that she can actually live like a happy, carefree life as a gymnast from that day forward until the truth is revealed to her directly when you infiltrate Maruki's palace for the first time. She's left completely shocked and broken about this revelation. It's up to Joker to reach out to her afterwards and help her regain her sense of self and the true identity. Like, who is she really? She's battling with these different memories in her mind, and she's not exactly sure, like, how to function anymore. And it's 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 heartbreaking but it's also heartwarming to really struggle to help her with a survivor's guilt and working through that pain. And as you continue to spend time with her, she starts that healing process and effectively joins the Phantom Thieves for the first time in order to take on Maruki. Which, honestly, like, just some real talk for a minute. Like, just thinking about this year, and I've experienced two deaths in my family this year, and it, it is heartbreaking. And going through that grieving process is, is really tough. And this is one of those first games where you really get to see that just destroying somebody from the in from the inside. And that's why it, 
it's interesting to talk about the dynamics of these two characters coming up in this game. Because Maruki, he's shown as a more benevolent palace ruler. He's not even really a villain per se. He's an antagonist, but he's not a villain. He's using his abilities to take away pain and grief and sadness from people in the world. And that fulfills their dreams. But they don't have any of the consequences of getting hurt or feeling pain. And throughout the third semester, you're really emphasizing with his desire and goals because, hey, it's good to be, you know, get rid of pain and to help others. And they even put you through a series of psychological tests and questions during his palace to see what your reactions are in comparison to his. And your answers actually reveal a lot more about you than you would even expect, like what you would do in certain situations. And I thought that was a really smart way to integrate like the psychological part with it. And it, it almost it honestly shines a light on you possibly being in the wrong. Again, it's acting as a foil to the Phantom Thieves to test their understanding of justice and the Reformation, really. And Joker has to work throughout these few weeks in order to convince his friends that they're living in an illusion. He has to basically break them of the thing that they want the most in order to have him stand by his side and shatter that collective delusion, which is extremely painful. And every single Phantom Thief actually meets with you after their delusion is shattered because they want to express like how heartbreaking it was for them in order to go against what they could see in front of them, which is like, oh, wow, this is really like good stuff like this is really good conversations that needed to have happened in the first game because again they were peeling back the layers of their character and adding more and more depth to them and it it is really interesting and having this whole third semester as this type of ending like really helps put things into perspective it allows for a different type of antagonist that doesn't play by the rules of the previous palace owners he's not a bad guy he's actually doing this from a helpful perspective it's not a mask for him he just wants to do right And he really believes that it's the right thing to do because he knows what it's like to have been hurt in the past and he doesn't want that for anybody. And if you think of that, of that, like when you really think about it, like, isn't that a really benevolent thing to do? Isn't that a good thing to do to try to spare other people pain? That's what a lot of those psychological questions in the palace try to talk about. So honestly, like they, they, they realize that what honest the the creators realize like okay we we really need to be able to get into more depth with this because yeah the phantom thieves are not like these morally righteous upright people necessarily all the time and they can be wrong and they really like play with those expectations there they're not subverting them necessarily but they're playing with it they're really trying to tease them out to be like are you sure is this the right path to take and there's room for disagreement there So this really helps to create an interesting comparison between him and Joker, especially during that final palace scene, because Joker, he's clad in all black and he's kind of working from the shadows and he's doing something that's considered wrong. Maruki, he's like dressed up in this nice white suit. Honestly, interesting looking like the character of Philemon from Persona 1 and 2, which is an interesting callback there. And you can see like this is a clash of their ideals. And honestly, it just feels like Neither one is 100% the wrong. Like they, they both have their benefits and drawbacks, which kind of plays with that understanding of morality and ethical quandaries that you're put in. And at this point, like it would be really important for me to talk about the two new songs that were introduced in this final section and in this game. And this really helps to drill down that understanding of Maruki as a character. So the two songs are I Believe and Throw Away Your Mask. I Believe, it takes the place of Life Will Change from the original game as being the, the final infiltration theme that you hear when you're getting ready to take on the final boss of the palace. It even directly like takes the main guitar riff 
from Life Will Change, and even some of the lyrics, it reworks them somehow. Like, da 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 Oh, and I don't know. I'm, I'm terrible at emulating music. But it plays upon those themes a really a good bit to show you that this resolve of the Phantom Thieves, even when they're broken up and under a delusion, it will continue on, leading to them to fight against this last palace owner, even if it means, in a sense, they're the bad guys. And I thought it was just an excellent song and really like hammer down like, no, this is the resolve of these characters. This is how the game is truly going to end. We have fought against all this corruption and this obviously bad stuff. But now we're actually going to get into more of that gray area and we're really going to focus on, are we right? Are we? I don't know. That's kind of what the song is wrestling with. Throw Away Your Mask, on the other hand, that's more of a character song of Maruki, so it kind of plays in tension with I Believe, because the lyrics demonstrate his specific desire and worldview, his philosophy, why he does what he does. And there was one stanza in the lyrics that really clearly state this. It says, don't sleep through dreams that can come true. No No more tears shall drop from your cheeks anymore. You won't need to strive for greatness. Believe in me that you don't need to suffer from anything. Really playing that that role of being this benevolent god-type character. And he clearly believes that he's in the right all the way up to the very end. This final fight, it lasts a long time. And it's chipping away at you minute by minute as you try to take him down. It does not feel like you're making any progress for the longest time. And it goes from one grand, glorious battle with the personas and giant explosions and this giant like Attack on Titan persona guy and this huge spectacle to the point where you're barreling down the head of this enemy and Joker fires his gun, just like with that final battle against Yaldabaoth, but on a more personal level. But that's not the end of the fight because it breaks down into this one-on-one desperate last-ditch effort fistfight between him and Joker, which is really interesting. The spectacle goes from this like amazing, like magical thing down to this, this fistfight. And... It's one-on-one, man-to-man. This this clash of ideals is clearly seen as they keep hitting each other over and over. And Maruki's just like, why don't you get this? Why don't you understand what I'm trying to do? And you're actually in control of Joker firsthand. So you're actually participating in the battle and answering his questions and trying to get him to come to his senses. Or are you? I don't know. It's hard to say. I also think that Maruki's personas are very... An interesting part of this, because he has two of them, the Azathoth and Adam Kadmon. Azathoth is apparently a demon-type persona, and it's another one that's kind of influenced by Lacraftian mythos. And one of the names that he's given, apparently, is the Blind Idiot God. And it's it's especially interesting, I think, that Azathoth has a connection to Nyarlathotep, who is the original big bad of like Persona 1 and 2. So it's really like those those connections are getting really overt over time. And it'd be interesting to see if they make any like direct correlations between what's happening because the original story was that Philemon and Nyarlathotep they're in this like big celestial battle and they're utilizing these human characters to summon Persona in order to see like which one's really truly in the right and it, it kind of has some of that D&D alignment stuff between like the law and the chaos that uh, Shin Megami Tensei is very known for which I can appreciate and they're continuing this thematically even if it's not like directly stated there there is a continual like through line here and Honestly, like you could see that this, the roles are kind of reversed in that sense because Maruki, he would be more on the lawful side and Joker in his gang, they'd be on the chaos side. So you could see how that's kind of flipped on its head. But in order to find that balance, I guess, is what they're going for. 
The other persona that uh, Azathoth evolves into is Adam Cadmon, and it's from Kabbalah mythology. And it obviously takes a skewed look at Adam and Eve. And the real big thing that you can get from that is that Adam Cadmon is supposedly the personification of infinite wisdom. And it's interesting how he goes from like this, this, this blind idiot God to this infinitely wise type. And that's how his evolution takes place. And it says a lot about the character and how he is changing his resolve or kind of tweaking his worldview, like right on the spot there that stimulates this evolution in personas. So going to the the ending of the game, like after you beat Maruki and change the world and you don't kill him, you don't kill him, you actually save him. Uh, it ends very similarly to Persona 5 because this new world's delusion is shattered. So Joker disappears and he's apparently in juvenile detention at this point. And the friends meet up and they realize what had happened. And this is kind of like the catalyst that leads them to getting him out of juvenile detention by proving his innocence with trying which is basically what they did in the original persona 5 but i felt like this added a little bit more depth to that section because it really like gave him i mean obviously they had a good reason to try to get him out of juvenile detention before but this even furthers the resolve because of what they've gone through and what he had to go through for them basically completely abandoning him for their new world and their new cognitions and everything so it it really goes to like the the depths of what they did in return to pay him back, adding more details about how all of your confidants eventually helped with that as well. And the final ending, like the final true ending, is that instead of going on on a road trip with them, though, Joker takes the subway home and he meets up with all of them and he's left alone with the thoughts of everything that have happened over the year, which I thought was a little bit more of a, a somber ending. It kind of reflects how things ended in Persona 4, at least in Persona 4 Golden, at least from the true ending that I remember. And while this ending does tie in better with Persona 5 Scramble, it doesn't really have the same tone as the original. It's not really ending on a really lighthearted note, but on a more somber, like, wow, just think about all the stuff that's been accomplished this year and what we've gone through. And I, and I think that has a lot to say on its own. But my final thoughts, finally, as we're getting to this end of this not-so-bite-sized episode, Persona 5, it was a complex game. The original one, I should say. And I wasn't 100% sure about it after I had finished it. I definitely enjoyed it, but things seemed kind of haphazardly put together. And I wasn't particularly satisfied with how so many shit, so many characters got the short end of the stick. And it, it was a real bummer that some kind of just got, especially Haru, like obviously. But Persona 5 Royal, it rectifies so many of these mistakes and completely rejuvenates the game to something really and truly special. Again, like how Persona 4 Golden did for Persona 4, but on an even bigger scale, because you're talking about a game that's just like so much bigger than that. And honestly, I think like Royal has effectively killed any reason to ever play the original vanilla Persona 5. There is absolutely no reason to go back to the game because it is inferior in every single way, unless all you have is a PS3, in which case... Well, I'm sure Paul will eventually get to it somewhere down the line. Maybe. I don't know. I don't think he wants to date his teacher. But ultimately, like, this experience with Persona 5 Royal, if I could be corny for a second, it's effectively changed my heart, to borrow the game's lingo. I was pretty dour on the original, even though I still thought it was a good game. But this has elevated even higher in my mind. It's added so much depth and complexity. I've said that word several times, but that's what it is. It's depth and complexity and actual stakes and ideas and everything. I feel like I can really appreciate the story on a whole new level, uninhibited by many of the production issues that plague the original. 
I could finally say that I love Persona 5 without having to throw in various caveats and but. Like, I love Persona 5, but I don't think they did great with the characters. Or I love Persona 5, but their understanding of justice was a little bit weird. But there's translation issues, that sort of thing. When I finally finished this game and rolled the final true credits, I was so exhausted on so many levels. Emotionally, mentally, physically, I really did my best to pour my heart and soul into this final chapter, into this game, and it paid off in spades. I've rarely felt these emotions when I played a video game. I really don't. Like, I, I don't get emotionally attached to games. That's just not how I am. I don't do that with movies. I don't do it with the TV shows. Nothing. I just don't get emotionally attached to things very often. But this one really brought my emotions to the forefront and really made me feel something like I feel just drained, completely drained. I don't want to play video games or JRPGs like ever again now. I just feel that completely drained. And I'm just going to say, Persona 5, this is the royal treatment it deserved. It's not a shameless cash-in with just a few upgraded features. It's to set a whole new bar for the Persona franchise, honestly. And I'm really like super anxiously awaiting now to see like what in the world will Persona 6 have in store for us when it's finally revealed. Is there even going to be a Persona 6? Is this really like if the Persona series ended today with Persona 5 Royal as its swan song? Honestly, I, I feel like it could just end there and just be done. But if the love and care that they put in this game is any indication, this franchise is only going to continue to get better in the future as long as they don't turn it in just into just a shameless cash-in with a few upgraded features. Although I will take so many more rhythm games. Give me so many more rhythm games. I want the Persona 1 and 2 rhythm games. Please do that for me. But that's all I have to say about Persona 5 Royal, or Persona 5 The Royal, if you're in Japan. Let me know what your thoughts are if you've played it. Let me know if you're planning on playing it now that you've heard this beefy bite-sized episode. And I, I would just I just want to talk about it with people. Like, I feel like I'm just so drained. I'm never going to play this game again. Like, there's nothing on this earth that will ever convince me to play Persona 5 again at this point. But having said that, it's really good. And you should check it out. And that's pretty much all I have to say about it. I am just, I'm done. And I'm happily done. It's like accomplishing just such a, an enormous task that I can't help but feel like, I'm done. I, I don't need to continue this anymore. And that, that's a good feeling. But anyway, let me know your thoughts. I'm Wes. I'm the Henshin Dad. I run the Henshin Dad podcast. And recently I put out a special episode on Ready Player Two, which is obviously like novel of this generation. Let me tell you, it's going to be taught in school literature classes for years and years to come about what how not to write a story, basically. That's pretty much what it's going to be known for. But I digress. Go ahead and listen to my podcast. I'm on Anchor, Hench and Dad. I am the only Hench and Dad out there as far as I can tell. And until next time, keep uh, breaking down your backlogs. Don't break the bank. Keep your finances in check. Uh, don't succumb to all the holiday sales because it is just a way to build your backlog that you don't need right now. Just go get Persona 5 Royal and you'll be done for the year. Great. Awesome. Have a great day. And the final word goes to Persona 5 Royal. Thou hast fallen, thy will scattered to the winds. Distortion hath grounded thy cause's noble banner. Thy conviction vanished like an awoken dream. And thus the hero meeteth his end, his rebellion quelled, his call to arms silence.
Obi-Wan never told you what happened to your father. He told me enough. He told me you killed him. No. I am your father. No. No. That's not true. That, that's impossible. This is such an incredible moment. A memory that will bring joy to the hearts of millions of people for generations. Wait. Wait, what? The sort of thing they talk about on the Retro Station podcast. The stories, movies, music, moments that brought us together as a people that we enjoyed with friends. <laughs> you laugh about this with your friends? My life has been a lie! Exactly. This is wonderful. <laughs> You're crazy! No, everyone agrees this is a truly classic moment. Oh, wait, wait a minute. Did you kill mom then? Well, I, I'd, I'd rather not talk about that. Oh, I, I bet they talk about that on the retro station, huh? What a classic moment that was when mom died? Actually, most people thought that was a bit of a letdown. They made memes making fun of it. They, they made memes of mom? The Retro Station Podcast. Celebrating all those things that made us nerds.